You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. This is Lisa Cherney. I'm your host. And I have an interesting episode for you today, primarily because it was recorded four months ago from the date of this airing. And it was before the pandemic changed our lives forever. And when this episode was originally supposed to air, our guest's mother entered the last stages of her life due to complications from COVID-19 and has since passed away. And I've been waiting for the right time to release her episode, and it's now. Our guest, Jennifer Maloka, is the survivor of every type of trauma, from childhood abuse to being married to a narcissist who had her under surveillance and absconded with half their assets and the whole nightmare. She's also overcome a traumatic brain injury, right? So like emotional trauma, physical trauma, and talk about our struggle serving our purpose. She is a walking, galloping example of this because she is a nationally quoted horse-assisted abuse and trauma coach now. (laughs) And she is also a shamanic healer and founder of Winner Circle Coaching. And I am so honored to be sharing her story with you now. I feel like the timing is the divine right timing for the story because we are all walking through being a survivor in some way, whether you uh, self-identify with that because you have survived cancer or you have survived abuse of some sort or you have survived a physical catastrophic illness or injury That is a really powerful word right now. And it's funny because I feel like in the past, and for some of you still may be, it it doesn't speak to those of you that have walked through those things. You don't consider yourself a survivor. It, It feels, it doesn't resonate with you. And right now, it's a word that I think is very powerful because of the pandemic and how each one of us listening to this has now been impacted by... COVID-19 in some way and has had some struggle, has had some trauma, whether it's the loss of your business or loss of a loved one, it is given us a 
shared experience or even you could say a shared trauma. And I trust that the wisdom that Jennifer shares today through sharing how she has, what I say, metabolized all of her experiences, I think it's really going to serve you. There's a particularly interesting piece that she shares about something called post-traumatic growth. I'd never heard those, that, that expression before or that context before, post-traumatic growth. And it's kind of like the opposite of one of my favorite articles called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And that actually was turned into a book. It's like, it's like how to pre-dying, right? While we're still alive and kicking and really thriving, it is about learning from the things that we have gone through. And uh, so I found that really interesting. I think you will too. Jennifer is really a, such a beautiful example of what the show is all about, which is knowing that all of the experiences that we walk through, particularly those of us that are mission-driven entrepreneurs, that it has a purpose, that it is going to help others, that it, it has given us the experience, the expertise, and the context to be able to walk our talk and to take a stand possibly, I believe, more powerfully than any academic studying could ever, could ever yield. So I look forward to you meeting Jennifer Maloka. She's an amazing human being, amazing mother, and also a beautiful healer and has a lot to share from her context. And now including walking through the death of her mom, who has passed away since we recorded this episode four months ago. And of course, that plays all into her story of being an abuse survivor. And she told me recently in a text exchange that she feels closer to her mom now more than ever. So I look forward to meeting this special soul. And without further ado, Miss Jennifer Maloka. Jennifer Maloka, welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. Are you ready to get fucking real? <laughs> oh, Lisa Cherney, I am so ready to get fucking real. You were like born. You were born for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was born ready. Whoop, whoop. Yes, I was. I'm so super excited. So this is a bit of a reunion for us. So we worked together. You were a client for a few years and I reached out just to say like, hey, how you doing? And, and the next thing I know, we're like, yes, we need to tell your story. I mean, I've always been inspired by your journey. I mean, always been inspired by your journey. And I'm excited to share your journey with the audience because they really love a good GFR story <laughs> and you got one, girl. <laughs> and I just want to say, Lisa, when we worked together those years ago, it was awesome. So just to plant the seed for anyone listening that if they have any doubts about working with you, they should not have them because you're amazing. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Back at, and, and, and same for you. So if anyone gets inspired to work with Jen, uh, you will not be disappointed. Can I call you Jen? You Absolutely. A, yeah. But do Just you have never an Jenny. aversion? I was going to say, do you have an aversion to Jenny? Because every Jennifer that I've ever met does not like Jenny, including my sister. So. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> when I was in high school, 8675309. Yes, that song. Was, was the song. I was Jenny, but my maiden name is Feely. F-E-E-L-Y. Okay. So just think about that. Jenny, Jenny Feely. Yeah. And the no. phrase touchy-feely just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. So, okay. Jenny, no touchy-feely mention. And we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all could like go back to a childhood like nickname or some like 
way that kids, you know, messed with our name to make us feel crappy, like, <laughs> just like, re revisit all these old places. My, my maiden name is Lesser. And Ooh. yeah, so Lisa Lesser. So my friend, oh, we didn't name you Lisa Lesser. We named you Lisa and Lesser. But nonetheless, people call me Lisa Lesser. And uh, yeah, they used to make a little song, Lisa, what did they call me? Little Lisa Lesser, Lily. So that was, yeah, that was my how fun. Oh. How fun is two, that? Two confessions of, of childhood <laughs> nicknames. And <laughs> oh, my. Oh, oh my. my. Oh, okay. oh, my. Just oh, my. Yes. Oh, my. All right. So we're going to jump in here because we uh, you have such a juicy story and I want to cover all the bits of it. Can you take us back to where you think your preparation, <laughs> the, your, the universe's preparation for you began for your current mission? <laughs> you know, this might sound really corny, but it's accurate. It, it literally started when I was probably five, five, six years old. Okay. And that's when the, one of the types of abuse that I experienced growing up started. And which is the irony here is, again, is not lost on me. And, you know, I say, you know, the irony is not lost on me when I have stories. But when I was five, I started swimming and diving competitively. And that experience set me up for so many other things in my life that were the positive basis for me. Yet the, I was, I was, I was sexually molested by a 17-year-old neighbor boy when I was five for a period of time. And I'm, I'm going to get fucking real and say, no child, a five-year-old child should ever know how to give a blowjob. Just putting Agreed. that right out there. Agreed. So, you know, looking back, you know, kind of when did it start? It, that's really a bookmark for me. And then the different types of abuse and trauma that I experienced growing up at the hands of my dad and my stepdad and my mom. And then they trained me to be the perfect spouse for a narcissistic sociopath who I was with for 27 years. So it's, I really believe that the universe, God's hand, however you want to look at it, God, goddess, has been all over my life to provide me with the training opportunity to go through all the less than positive experiences I've been through in order to have the foundation from, from which to do my healing work. Because I truly understand and I've walked through my own darkness. I found the path through my own darkness to my light. And if I can do it, honest to God, Lisa, anybody can. And thankfully, because of everything that I've experienced and all the God moments, we'll call them, I know how to be the fierce advocate for my clients as I walk side by side with them as they walk through their own darkness to find their own light. I don't hold their hand. I don't, you know, I do cheer them on and I, I hold the space for them, but I pay them the compliment of being strong enough to find their own path because we all are. We just need to have the courage. Yes. I, I really, really appreciate that. I often say that if our wormhole credential is like the most powerful credential that anybody can have. I mean, I really, I really trust people way more when I know that they've been through it. You know, they've come out the other side, they have triumphed, you know, and they are speaking from their well-earned experience. So I want to just thank you for living through what you lived through because, you know, you've had a lot of people on the show share about not wanting to live and trying to commit suicide and just walking around always, you know, contemplating death. We've had episodes with that title. 
you know, and how fucking common it is, common it is for people that have been trauma, you know, to have those thoughts. So I'm glad you're here because your work is so fucking important and your, your well-earned GFR wormhole credential is to me the basis for how you're able to show up for people powerful, more powerful. I believe, I'm sorry, this is, I'm going to GFR than any degree, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it's, I'd be lying if I told you that I had not been suicidal at different points of my life. And you know, that to me, where that really comes from, and this is my own personal bias, but my belief is individuals who have experienced abuse and trauma, and I, I have to say this to clarify because it's important to me, abuse is always 100% of the time traumatic. Trauma is not always abuse. Getting in a car accident, losing a job, losing a loved one, the death of a loved one, those are all traumatic, but they're not abuse. So I, I think it's really important to make that differentiation because so many people lump them together and use them interchangeably. And it, it's just not quite accurate because I've, I've worked with clients who they downplay their trauma and abuse because it's not as bad as somebody else's. And the reality is it doesn't matter if someone else has had a worse experience than you or a better one. It's not a competition. And our abuse that we've experienced or our trauma that we've experienced is really real. And it, it impacts us to the degree that it impacts us because we're individuals. So I, I wanted to say that and I was going down the other bunny hole of I'd be lying if I didn't if I didn't admit that there were times of wanting to die and oh that's where I was going. So the um, being in a, a place where you've been somebody's been abused or we're taught that we, we don't have, we don't rate get having a boundary because our boundaries have been violated. And when we are in a place where our boundaries have been violated and we don't feel like we qualify to have one, there's such a profound feeling of pointlessness, of it, we are victimized. However, it's, it's hopelessness. That's what the word I was looking for. It, it's, it's kind of being hopeless that things will never change. And the truth is, that's a lie. Things will change. Things will get better. And the voices, the underlying operating systems that were installed when we were kids aren't accurate. They just aren't accurate. But the, the littles within us, they need to be heard they need to be listened to and the last person on earth that our inner child needs to be yelled at is us, right. yelled at by is us. And that's some of the foundational part of the work that I do because those poor little individuals, the child within us have been abused, has, have been traumatized and they make these, these operating systems Underlying operating systems are created in the moments of trauma or abuse that become the story to make sense because children do not have the emotional bandwidth or world experience to really create a rationale for what has happened to them or what is happening to them. Right. So they make up the story, well, 
I deserve this because I'm bad because of fill in the blank. And so that becomes an, an underlying operating system to protect us. And so yeah. the, that child within us is trying to protect us from being harmed again. And so that's, and that behavior also is the foundation of the, the self-sabotage, the things that get in our own way. Yeah. So when did you start seeing these behaviors in your life? Like, when did you wake up to like, oh, I, my life looks like this, or I feel this way about myself because of, I went through like kind of, when do you feel like you got like put on the path of the work that you're doing now in terms of your own sort of awakening, your own, like, yeah, like seeing, seeing yourself, like you saw yourself differently and you could see maybe where the universe was taking you. I'd have to say I was, I think it was like February when I was 20 years old, I saw the light. It was behind me and blue and I got pulled over for a DUI. Okay. And, um, I went, I started treatment when I was 21 and that's what really when I started to, the Pandora's box kind of opened because I couldn't numb out with my drug, with drugs and alcohol anymore. And then I started to have to look at things. It was during that time that I really started to look at my story and I so identified my history of trauma of the story of who I am. And it wasn't until, and I've done, I've engaged in a lot of different types of healing modalities and different types of therapy. In so the, did you go into treatment when you were 21? Like, was yeah. it an inpatient thing? And it, so was you, an, it was an outpatient, a two-year outpatient treatment. And beautiful. What yeah, a great I, opportunity. <laughs> I stayed clean and sober for 27 years. And so I didn't start drinking until I was 28. And it's really, I have a completely different relationship with alcohol than I did. I can take it or leave it because I'm not trying. And I love being sober. So it's, it's just very different. Yeah. So when you were 21, you got sober and you stayed sober for 28 years. And, yep. and when you say, and then, but then you said you started drinking at 28. So are you saying sober no, for drugs? Oh, 48. You said 28. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I, I was sober for 28 years. Got it. And so you started, you didn't start consuming alcohol again or playing with whatever you want to say nope. it, until you were 48. Okay. So, so you got to, you got to, when you were 21, take two years and really like look at yourself and really begin to recognize, you know, the, where you came from and what got you to that place. Yeah, it was really, and it was interesting. And you know, looking back, even during the, my, the first, I'd say 10 years of my sobriety, I would tell people my laundry list of things that would happen that had happened to me because I knew that once they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't like me. And that's why I'm saying that the, the history of what had happened to me was my story, right? That's who I was. And it wasn't until I was in training to partner with horses as healing partners. It was the training that I went through was based in Gestalt psychology with the horses. It was 300 hours over two years. And I had an incredible opportunity to partner with my, my first horse, my primary healing partner, his name's Teddy. And there are moments where like, I can feel the emotion coming up that I might cry at people. The moment where 
I had the epiphany that the history of my trauma and abuse was not the story of who I am. As, as liberating as that moment was, it was equally as terrifying because if I wasn't my trauma, who was I? And having to figure out really who I am, who, who is Jennifer? If I'm, if I'm not my trauma and my abuse, who am I? And it's really interesting because I've, I had that opportunity again after I had my brain injury a year later, my ex-husband left me on my 50th birthday. And when he left, I discovered he'd never been faithful, that he half our assets were missing, and he literally, literally had had me under surveillance for God only knows how long. And just the, I was no longer a wife, I was no longer, a, I mean, I'm still a mom, but you know, my kids are gone, they're grown, they're 26 and 29. But the, the labels, the labels that we wrap ourselves in for protection, right? For normalcy. It, it's really interesting when those labels get removed. And so when I first got sober, when uh, my brain injury happened, when my ex left me. So there's, there's some really defining yeah. moments. So how old were you when you got married? Oh, I was young. I was 24, well, 25, 24, 25. Okay. So you were four years sober-ish. When you got married. Yes. Yes. I ask about that and like presence that because as my, many of my listeners know, but it depends if this was, you know, how many of the shows you've listened to and you can track the narrative. So part of my narrative is that I was in a 12 step program from a junior in college. So in my twenties through my early thirties for eating disorder, compulsive overeating and the 12 step program is OA. And I was in OA one year when I met my hus my now husband. Uh, now we're celebrating 25 years this year. And I remember what a big fucking deal it was to, ha to be sober in Overeaters Anonymous is a little bit different because it's not a black and white, you know, all or nothing thing. But nevertheless, I was sober in OA and I had to share this with him. I had to come out and I had to share this with him. And it was really fucking important for at the time. It was like, you know, dude, you need to know this because this is number one. I got to go to these meetings and I have to, you know, have this and this and this food plan. And, you know, it kind of like, you know, somewhere in here a second or a third or whatever, because this is so important to me. And it really was a big part of the establishing of our relationship. Like, do you remember that? Do you remember like needing to reconcile a new relationship with your sobriety or, or no? I, yes, yes. It's really interesting that you brought that up because as you were talking, I'm like, oh yeah. So my dad, he's he passed away a couple of years ago, but my dad was a raging drug addict, alcoholic. And when I met my ex-husband, he did drink, but it was so different than what I grew up with that I didn't realize I married my father because it looked different it was he didn't, rage. he didn't have the raging anger part of it is that being a full-blown narcissistic sociopath he had a whole different approach to life and it was the control was incredible right. it's like subversive so, right it's like the in it like an internalized you know under the surface also sinister and dysfunctional right but you're saying because it looked so different than your dad you're like well you know he's not like my dad but he 
he was a he, but in the end he was yeah, and it was yeah. interesting because during our marriage one of the bones of contention for our relationship is I didn't drink I I didn't have fun I didn't have fun with him and so I knew that like we had been having problems for quite some time and it wasn't until the reason I didn't start drinking until I was 48 was because at that point I just finally said, well, maybe this is what he wants. And Aww. that's the thing about narcissism and dealing with narcissists. And I, I recently worked with a client who is a director in a high tech firm and is married to a narcissist and wants to stay married to the narcissist because they have two little kids. And what's, what's interesting is I'll give you an example. My ex-husband would say things like, it makes me feel emasculated when you drive, so I want to drive. I'm like, okay, that wasn't a big deal for me. Sure, you, you need to drive to feel in control. Okay, fine, drive. It's not a big deal. The, the, the challenge is every single time, it's not a big deal to me because it's truly not a big deal. And I say, oh, it's okay. And I would give him power, like little by little, by little, by little. And then one day I woke up and it's like, how am I so powerless here? How do I have like no say and no control? How, how did I, how did I get here? And it's those little, oh, I don't care about this. So sure, go ahead. And it's, it's insidious, especially when they're, they're so logical and you're just being overly emotional and, and they're so passive aggressive that it's, I got to a point where I doubted myself. I so doubted the validity of my ideas, of my thoughts, of my certainty. It was, it was crazy making. And one of the wormhole moments, he had left, and I was standing underneath the apple tree in my, the backyard I had prior to this house, and I was looking up at the horses. And I was thinking about my ex-husband, thinking, you know, he told me he had never, he told me a lot of things that if I believed what he told me was true, then all the work I'd done with my clients and horses and everything I knew in my bones to be true was a lie. But if I believed every, all the work that I did with my clients and all the, what I knew to be true was true, then that meant the last 27 years of my life had been a lie. It was not a pleasant choice because it didn't really feel like there was a win on either side. I did ultimately choose me. And when I made that choice- When you say you chose you, you chose the world that you had created with your horses and the clients and the healing part of your work. Correct. The, what I knew to be true, I, I chose to trust. And it was, it's interesting, the more distance I had from him, it was like waking up out of a fog. It was, it was like I had been drugged for <laughs> decades, right? That I had so lost myself that I, I needed to, I didn't even know what I liked or didn't like. I didn't know what really made me happy. And it was a really strange place to be in because again, I had to redefine me and who I was and, and find me, rediscover me and who I was and what was important to me. And that's, the foundational part of what I do with my clients is I, I help my clients learn how to be fully present because when we're fully present, we are able to choose a course of action versus reacting to an outside stimulus. Right. And individuals who have been abused, 
they have been preyed upon. And the reason that partnering with horses is so powerful, horses are prey animals. They're prey animals. They, they're lunch for other, other people or other, uh, and humans, dogs, cats, we're, we're predators. And so anyone who's been abused has been preyed upon. So the horses recognize that energetic signature. Wow. It's really powerful. And being around the horses, they're just, they just want to get along. They're, how did you get into the horse? How did you get into the work with horses? I don't know that I've ever heard that part of your story. Oh my God. Thank you for asking me that. So when I was 45, my older son was going off to college and my younger son was going into high school and I didn't have anybody to really cuddle with me anymore. And so I had wanted a horse since birth. Never had one, never leased one, took lessons from a really, you know, a woman who basically was glorified pony rides for a year. So I didn't really know anything about horses, just knew I loved them. And I got my first horse who was an off the track thoroughbred who raced for over 10 years and he had an anger management problem. <laughs> yeah. Did you get a discount? <laughs> well, it was really, <laughs> honest to God. So my, my uh, learning curve with him was literally uh, just a straight up and down line because there was no, there was no uh, curve. <laughs> it was just straight up and down. And thank God, thank God. I, the universe again is all over this. So the, I got the horse and from the moment I met him, I knew he was my horse. Like just the connection that we had. And the irony, again, there's so much irony. So when I got him, I could tell he was so kind and gentle and loving. After I'd had him for a couple of years, I found out that the barn that I got him out of literally had signs on his stall telling people not to get near him because he would literally lunge at them trying to strike them and bite them. But he was always a mush to me. So I get my first horse and the woman that I was connected to to do training was trained and mentored for years by a, a man of the name of Buck Branneman. I know that many of your listeners will be familiar with the story, The Horse Whisperer. Yeah. The main character in that story is based on a real life man by the name of Buck Branneman. When, when Robert Redford did the movie, Buck was his stand-in and they used one of Buck's horses for the pivotal scene in the stall where, where the horse is pawing the ground. So wow. I've ridden with Buck for 10 years and he's all about, well, actually 11 now, but he's all about helping horses with human problems and helping humans learn how to communicate clearly and effectively with horses so that there can be a partnership. I partner with horses to help humans with human problems, <laughs> but I partner with the horses to do that. So my, my ex-race horse is 17 hands high, he's 1,200 pounds. And as much as he loves me, if he went over the top of me, he'd kill me. If he got scared, he'd go over the top of me. And so I had to be fully present to know what was going on. I had to have healthy boundaries with him without anger in order to establish a safety perimeter. And the, having this, the boundary with him, with him was one of the absolute challenge, most challenging things I've ever gone through because I wanted him to love me. 
and I was afraid that if I had a boundary, he wouldn't love me because of my upbringing and my, my husband. Every time I had a boundary, I was punished for it. So in my world, having a boundary was a bad thing. I would get punished for it. So what I learned through my horsemanship of being fully present in the moment, I was aware of so many other things. And I could stop a train wreck from happening way before it got out of hand. Having a healthy boundary without anger, just the facts, allowed me to, the byproduct of that boundary with Teddy was he learned, he, he was able to trust me more because he knew what to expect, which was really an epiphany. And he was able to love me and trust me more because he knew what the expectation was. And when I started to, when I learned that lesson and I started to apply it to the different relationships that I had in my life, it's like, well, of course, of course, when I'm straightforward and you and I've joked about this before, you know that I will always just be straight, straight with you. I just will. But that just takes all the guesswork out and it allows people to relax because they know what to expect. Even if you never say a word, if you know clearly what your boundary is, that allows people to relax. So, and because he's an ex-race horse, because he had an anger management program, problem, he, he had over 102 starts and finishes. And most thoroughbred race horses only have a handful of races. There's a term in the racing industry for horses that have had 50 starts, not even finishes, just 50 starts, and that's war horse. My horse had 102. Wow. He was a claims race horse. He had three different homes every year he was on the track. That means three different owners, grooms, like the whole thing. So exponential. So when I got him, he, he never- He was like a foster child. <laughs> yes, it, but a commodity. He was a commodity foster mm. child. And so when we connected, I am his first human. Like he's had humans around him, but I am his girl. Wow. And he gave me the safety. And I knew that because of his anger management and that he didn't know anything and he was 14 when I got him and he arthritic, that anyone who really had the skill to help him be successful wouldn't have wanted him because he had so much baggage and he had arthritis and, you know, all this stuff. And so there was, I was. And he loved you with your baggage. He did. He did. And that I think really was what connected us. And I, I had so much doubt in being able to help him get where he needed to be that I almost gave up many times. And this one man, he passed away a few, a few years ago, but this one man told me, because I asked him, should I get another horse? And he said, you know, whether or not you keep this horse or get another horse, you're going to have the same problems. <laughs> and what I've come to discover is, Horses are not necessarily a mirror, but what we bring to the table, they reflect back to us. So whatever issue I'm having with him, like the boundaries or the being clear, that's an issue I, I personally have in all areas of my life. And so I learned how to dig deep, dig, oh my God, so deep, to be the leader he needed me to be to save his life. Wow. Which, ultimately was the leader I needed to be to save my own when my ex-husband left. Yes. That's what I'm just like so marveling in at this, this animal put into your life that you 
got to help him heal and help yourself heal for a good five years before that faithful day and when you turned 50 and your husband left you. It was, yeah, it was, and I was devastated when he left. And, you know, looking at Teddy, and it's it's interesting because I ended up getting a second horse named Calvin after I'd had Teddy for three years, four years. I had Teddy for four years, then I got Calvin. And now I now I have Hank. So I have three <laughs> thoroughbred horses and they're all beautiful and they all had issues and they're all loving. They're all like amazing. Um, Calvin used to bite and he, he, he was, he couldn't, um, there's something called contact, right? So when you and I are uh, in relationship, if I don't trust you, then you're going to feel it. There's going to be that barrier and I might really, really want to connect with you, but if I don't trust you, it's, it's going to be like the, the foster care child syndrome, right? And that's kind of how he was. I would be, he'd watch me loving on Teddy and the longing in his face was palpable. And so I'd go over to try and love on him. He could only withstand like 10 seconds because he, he, no one had done that for him before. He was treated like a, like basically a living motorcycle. But, and they would talk trash in front of him and stuff. And I mean, and he's smart and he's, anyway, so that's a whole different story, um, which I will actually be writing his story and Hank's story like I wrote and published Teddy's story, which is from Winter Circle to Round Pen. The yes, this is our, you're giving every, all the listeners your, your book for free. Yes. Um, so this is Teddy's story in your book. Yes. Or your story with Teddy. Awesome. Yes. Yay. And it's written in both my voice and his voice. So it's <laughs> awesome. our stories blending together. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was selected to be published in a, in a book. So, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of it, quite honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. So when did you say, oh, I need to do this for other people? When did the business get born? I mean, it sounds like even before you your brain injury and before you really got real about your narcissistic husband, it sounds like you were already working with horses in the abuse arena or so like, it feels like that your work with horses has evolved as your healing journey and your GFR journey evolved. Is that a right? Is that? The oh, correct? that would be so accurate because originally I have a degree in fitness and I was a personal trainer who I had my own personal <laughs> training business and I've coached over 350 women across the finish line of their first fitness event. Most of those were sprint distance triathlons from 22 year olds to 62 year old women from very, very fit to hundred pounds overweight and all points in between. They all successfully injury free cross the finish line in an eight after an eight week training program. Wow. And so the, the clients that I focused were people of size who were overweight out of shape and, and really wanted to, they, they wanted a different life, but they didn't know where to start. So that, that was the demographic that warmed my heart. And as I was working with them, I realized I could create the most incredible training program on the planet, but until I could help them deal with their disordered thought processes, it, they would never be like long-term successful. So I got my, my uh, wellness coaching certification and then I got my horse. And as I'm doing my own learning and everything, I realize how profoundly healing and important and high impact this would be for other people. And I started to look for a program and 
I talked to this one woman who created the program I went through and and then I ended up going to Miraval Spa in Arizona and there's a gentleman there by the name of Wyatt Webb who created the equine encounter experience at Miraval and I went through that and I'd had Teddy for I don't know two three years at that point and it was a really interesting experience there were 10 of us in the group and there were a total of six horses there were five horses that we divided up and we each took turns grooming a side of the horse but I told the gal that I was with go for it because you know I had a horse at home and then we go into covered round pen area and there was one horse but the ten different people and what Wyatt had said is the horse will show up differently for every single person and it was fascinating it was so true because whatever however we show up in the world that was how we impacted the horse and the horse would either it was it was just fascinating to watch it unfold and it gave me so much food for thought and so I I, I wanted to go ahead and get my training and my ex-husband told me everything that you do is involved with your business but there was a reason for that like that's where I had my freedom was my business right and he said the horse is the one thing in your life that isn't business related are you sure you really want to turn that in as to part of your business too and so I let him you know I thought okay fine and then a year later I decided I'm good I'm doing the program I'm spending the money I'm doing the two-year program and his response was I thought we agreed that there was re no return on the investment <laughs> and I said well what if I just want to do it for me he goes oh that's fine but it was it was really an interesting thing so uh, after it was the month before I graduated that I had my brain injury and Wow. Yeah. And so I had been doing work with the horses for a couple of years at that point. So that would be, let's see, 45, 47. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I didn't do a whole lot of work the, the year that I was, I cracked my hard shell riding helmet. It was an, a riding injury. And at, when I went to the doctor, the doctor said that I wasn't allowed to elevate my heart rate at all for two months because they were afraid I'd have a stroke and so I mean it was I had speech therapists occupational therapists special balance vestibular physical therapists it was, it was a big deal and I still to this day it's been seven years and to this day I still am impacted and I have to be careful I have to be mindful of my energy expenditure because my battery isn't as big as it was and it drains really fast so anyway so I got my 300 hours of training in gestalt psychology partnering with the horses but then I also combine all the training I've had with Buck Braneman and all the learning and personal development I've had dealing with the horses because you've not been called out till you've been called out by a 1200 pound mute <laughs> and I mean I'm just I just want to pause and just drop into what a, an extraordinary journey that you've had and all of the amazing unbelievable experiences like I feel like this is like five episodes of the show in one because <laughs> you know you got you know like you're, you're recovering from abuse recovering from trauma you know the narcissistic husband and, and all that and then a brain injury which would be girl that would just be an episode in and of itself without all these other you know, without all these other amazing things that you've 
walk through and then here you are like you know what I mean? That's the, the cool, it's like, ta-da, you know, <laughs> here you are, right, doing your, your thing. And, you know, I've known you for, I don't know, like four years or something. So I feel like the brain injury was like, it was like closer to, when I, when I met you, I feel like the brain injury was like still more of a, of a thing. But I just, and I could see how that's serving you in terms of your own self-care and just being like, oh, I had a brain injury, so sometimes I can't find words. Like, you know, there's just such self, such love and patience that you've had to have for yourself, you know, on top of all the other healing that you've done from the experiences that you've been given. And I just, I just like, who is more qualified? I don't know who is more qualified <laughs> to help people, you know, heal from abuse and trauma and deal with, you know, I know that you're also really an expert around helping people heal from or live with narcissism, which is a, a whole nother thing. So I just, I just want to applaud you. I, I really, I just have so much love and respect for you and, and for my guests, you know, overall and what you've walked through that now gives your life purpose and meaning. So I just, I had to stop for a minute because there's just so much and you're so, you know, you've healed so much and own your story so eloquently that it's, it's almost, so I, I just wanted to like, pause and like drop into it because it's something to behold it really is thank you for that it's it's so so easy to forget there i spent the vast majority of my life needing to be twice as good as everybody else simply to feel half as worthy and that again that that's one of the old operating systems that was just a lie and the, we talk a lot, I'm sure everybody's heard a lot about negative self-talk and you know, being mindful of your words. And here's the thing, words are power. It, it, simple things, like the difference between simple and easy, hugely different. Simple is uncomplicated. Easy is with little or no effort. They're very different. So words are power. And I now, it's, it's interesting, it's now second nature for me to praise myself. Like, oh, you're so clever and mean it. It's just, it's really interesting. We had a few months ago, there was some, some snow and I went out and did all of my shopping that I needed to make sure that I had my needs met. And as I got home, there was already an accumulation of like four inches by the time I got home. And as I'm unloading the car, I'm like, good job, Jen, you're so smart way to go. You're so capable and resourceful and smart. And, and it's just, it's, it's those moments where I look at that and I go, I have come so far. I've just come so far. And, and a few weeks, well, I guess it was a couple months ago now, I was finally emptying a box that had been sitting in my family room for ages because I'm in my house, not quite three years. And in fact, I just moved into my house when we met. Right? I remember that. Yeah. And so, boy, God, what a freaking, oh my God, what a fucking challenge that was. Anyway. But so this house, this house, finding this house, I remember when you found the house, it was like, cause there's, you have your horses there and the property and it was just like such a find. <laughs> it was, well, I spent a year looking for it. And so I made the offer the last Thursday of May, found out the first Wednesday of June, my dad was sick in a hospital an hour away. Um, my house went on the market on Friday. My mom had been in a skilled nursing facility, went home to her apartment on Friday. 
my dad died on Saturday, my house sold on Monday, my mom fell and broke her hip and had partial hip replacement on Tuesday. I had to have, and I was in my new house in a month. And then I didn't have internet for four months, which <laughs> was a whole different thing. But, um, oh, so anyway, the pictures, because this is a, this to me was such an epiphany moment. I was looking at pictures, sorting the pictures, and there were all these moments that I had forgotten about with my kids. And they were just like snapshot moments, but those moments made, made up my extraordinary life. They made up the parts, those just ordinary moments are really truly the juicy bits for me that make up an extraordinary life. And it's interesting, I was working with uh, one of my corporate clients is a small boutique consulting firm. And the owner, when we had talked, she knew that she was the bottleneck of getting, you know, really moving to the next level. And so we had our half day here offsite and she just, ugh, it was, I was able to push her to the degree where she finally had her breakthrough, but she snapped at me and started to yell at me, telling me that you, it's easy for me to say, cause she, I had no idea the trauma that she had experienced. <laughs> and I was like, oh, girl. <laughs> oh, that's, but that's a story, right? We right. all are so, it, we as individuals will not change until the pain of staying where we are is greater than the fear of the unknown. And it's interesting. People will spend money on so many things, like lots of money on so many things, but when it comes to liberating themselves from their past, my clients, the ones that I love working with, are ones they, they know the pain of their past is impacting their present, holding their future hostage, and they don't, they can't, they don't want to do that anymore. They're ready, willing, and will do what it takes to walk through that fire. And when I, when I first really had my big breakthrough emotionally, I was... I was convinced that my darkness was so deep and so like a, a bottomless pit that if I stepped into it, I would be consumed and the tears would never, ever end. And what I discovered was the tears end and that after a rainy day and the sun comes out, everything's beautiful and shiny and the world is a little bit lighter. That's the same for the ugly cry. And I love it when clients do the ugly cry because I know that they're no longer going to have to walk with that burden a moment longer. And it's doing self-work, doing self-healing work is, it takes a lot of courage. But the payback, oh my God, the return on the investment is exponential. One of my most recent clients, in three months of working with me, she tripled her revenue because she was able to get rid of all the false narrative, the false belief The she became more present, which when I work with clients, I, I teach them about being a scientific observer. Because when we are able to observe what we do, we take the step back and we're just in just the facts. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that interesting that yeah. I can do that? Then we can start to see patterns emerging and decide whether or not we want to continue. We can start to see, 
oh, well, that situation just happened, which is triggering me to engage in this behavior. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> and then we can you know, decide whether or not we want to do that. So really being present is like a superpower. Yeah, I love that. All right. So for this last segment, I would love for you to share any additional like life lessons or sort of like in retrospect, you know, I, you know, this brought me this wisdom kinds of things that you think would serve our listeners? There's a couple. There's an old adage, your words are speaking or your actions are speaking so loudly, I can't hear what you say. Pay attention to that one. Pay attention to people's actions, not their words, because that will tell you everything because actions don't lie. Also to, at the end of the day, the very best bet, the very best person to put your money on is you. You are the world's foremost authority on all things you. You are an expert and, and you have all the answers. All the answers are inside. It's, it just takes a great coach to ask the right questions for you to find your own answer. And or horse. <laughs> right, right, right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's really trust yourself, believe in yourself. There was a study done of hospice nurses and about the what are the top five regrets of the dying. And what I found fascinating because I was doing research to help me heal from my brain injury, I came across a term called post-traumatic growth. So post-traumatic stress, we know what that is. But post-traumatic growth is taking, growing from the experience, right? And what's really fascinating to me is the top five priorities in top or post-traumatic growth are the opposite of the top five regrets. It's like they, it's the, what becomes important. And I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but the top five regrets. So give us an example of one of the regrets. Because I know I'm familiar with that, that article, Top Five Regrets of the Dying. It's super okay. powerful. I know super it's super powerful. Book. So give us an example of one of the regrets and the like sort of and the post-traumatic growth antithesis of that. So the, the post-traumatic growth would be not worrying about what other people think, spending more time with family, not working so hard, not doubting yourself. Um, I can't remember what the fifth one is, but really at the end of the day, be true to you. Yeah. Be, be true to you because no one has your best interest at heart as profoundly as you do. And how does that, and then compare that before we forget what those other ones were with the post-traumatic, or the five regrets of the dying. Oh, the five regrets is I wish I hadn't worked so much. I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I hadn't cared so much what people thought of me. You know, it's, it's the top five regrets is, it just is the opposite, right? It's the, yeah. those are the priorities. And yes. be nice to yourself, you know, yeah. be mindful of what language you use to just, even in joke, even joking, um, that was an air quote, the people say, oh, I'm such a bitch, or I'm, I'm so absent-minded. Stop it. Yes. Just stop it. That doesn't serve anyone, especially you. Great. And even if they, I've heard, I call people out on that, and they go, I'm only kidding. I'm like, words are power. Stop it. I love it. Let's end there. I love it. Let's end there on just stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. 
Jennifer Maloka, oh my God, this is so um, awesome and so well-earned and so wise. And again, thank you for walking this planet and doing your work and sharing so authentically and transparently with the GFR audience. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share my story. And I hope, I, I hope my story inspires others and gives them hope. I'm sure it will. Thanks, Jennifer. Oh, I'm so glad that you have been with me for this episode. And then thinking about the fact that it was recorded, you know, four months ago before her mother passed away from COVID-19 complications, it just adds more juice to the whole, to the whole thing that I think is really impactful for, for us listeners. She is gifting everybody with her book, and there's a link in the show notes, and it's called From Winter Circle to the Round Pen, A Tale of Love and Redemption. And she goes way more into the details around the betrayal of her husband and his unfaithfulness and the missing assets. And she talks about more about her, her DUI and her own you know, journey with addiction. She just, it's, it's kind of like, too much to even believe that one person walked through all of this. And then to talk with her, it's just like, wow, I'm just, I really am so in awe. And as always, when guests with types of wormhole credentials speak, I listen. She recorded with me after the show, a very special segment called how to successfully navigate a relationship with a narcissist. This is for our GFR squad members. Now, if you've thought at any point to join the GFR squad, now would be a great time. What she shares is, it is a perspective that I have not heard of people talking about like dealing with the aftermath, but I haven't really talked, I haven't really heard people talk about what to do when you feel like you might be right now in the relationship with a narcissist. So it is super powerful. And our GFR squad Membership is chock full of these really special bonus segments with each of our guests that we record right after their show. And sometimes it's about their expertise, like how to create awesome live videos and how to deal with someone who's being a jerk to you. And they're also often put me on the hot seat. I'm a guinea pig. I think last week I took a quiz on, you know, do I know body language and there's just, it's, it's a, a whole library really worth binging and it's only 20 bucks a month to join the GFR squad or if you pay up front, it's 200 for the whole year. So that's gfr.life forward slash squad. And that means you can also join us for our live on video community GFR confession call. And we use our 12 GFR commandments, we pick one each month and we focus on it. Some people confess, some people just listen. Confessions are not required, but it is a really, really cool vibe to be in if you want to live more unapologetically in your life in the coming year. I would love to meet you and hang out with you. Go to gfr.life forward slash squad to join us and get Jennifer's how to successfully navigate a relationship with a narcissist and all the other awesome bonus training goodies that are in there. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't gotten your GFR commandments, that's a primer for the show and you want to go grab those at gfr.life forward slash 12C, one, two, and the letter C. Until next time, keep keeping it real.